So, Doug, you grew up in Los Angeles in the late 50s, early 60s. What was that like? Well, Los Angeles back in the 50s and 60s was nothing like it is today. We had a lot less people, a lot less traffic. Uh, the area that I grew up in was the San Fernando Valley, which is oh, right over a mountain from Los Angeles. And then, of course, I was fortunate to go into real estate, but was very, very fortunate to have my father suggest that I go out in Simi Valley, California. And Simi Valley is, uh, was back then a very small, inexpensive home area. And at 18, 19, I would have had a real challenge, Paul, selling real estate in Beverly Hills or Encino, where they're older folks and they're very expensive. But in Simi Valley, I was 19 when I started. And many of the buyers coming in were in their early 20s. So it was a great opportunity to do business in that area. So when you think about the sales job back then and what sales is like what right now, what do you feel was better back then and what do you feel is better now? Well, I think one of the things that's happened in the overall feeling of industry of selling is the average consumer has so much access to education, information, knowledge that many of the buyers will end up meeting uh, have more information and knowledge than many of the salespeople. Uh, one of the advantages back when I was starting in real estate was <clears throat> most folks didn't have a lot of knowledge about finance. They didn't have access to understand the, the resale market in real estate. And I mean, they were like neophytes. Whereas today, I think one of the challenges that most people in selling have today is the consumer at a click of a button can end up with as much information, if not more than the person trying to make a sale. And so this is something I think that everybody has to realize that you've got to have more technical skill, more knowledge, more ability to answer questions than we ever needed to back in the 50s and 60s. Interesting, because something you I, I came across uh, that you talked about was the importance of practice, drill, rehearsing. Is that something you feel has changed over the years? No, it really hasn't. Uh, the great golfer, the Phil Mickelson, the Tiger Woods, they still go out and hit more balls practicing. And uh, when Tiger Woods would come out to our country club to play, we of course were in awe of him back, especially 10, 12 years ago. And we would get in our carts and we'd kind of hide behind trees and watch him. But many a day, we would go out and tee off at 10 in the morning, come, come back at two, and there was Tiger Woods still hitting balls. Uh, I saw him hit five hours with just a nine iron. iron. So I, I still believe that's true in selling that we must practice what we're going to say. We must drill it and drill it till it becomes natural. And then like an actor or actress, we have to rehearse 
before we meet people so that we have a, a dialogue, kind of like you and I. We've got a group of questions and agenda, if you will, as to what we want to accomplish with our listeners. And that's the same that I think every salesperson has to be aware of, and that'll never change. You or you'll only present as good as your preparation, and preparation is the key to a great presentation. You've trained over 5 million people over the years, and I'm just curious to know if you've noticed any change in the propensity or the willingness for people to do that practice in, in the sales game. We see it in sports all the time because if people don't practice, they don't rise to the top. In, but in sales, I'm just wondering as to know if you've seen that. Do people? Is it because I don't see it a lot? I don't see people putting in that effort, practicing, drilling, rehearsing those objections. You know that that you talked about the stimulus, pause, response, and and I don't see it. I'm just curious to know is it something you see? Yes, you're totally you're totally right on, Paul. People have gotten away from a lot of the fundamentals. Uh, of uh, practicing what you're going to say on the telephone. If you're a telemarketer, it's so important that you learn exactly how to come across properly with your voice, your vocal presentation, asking the right questions, being a very good listener. And, and all these things are critical and they're fundamentals that I think the professional has to practice to stay up to, to the competition. But as I mentioned to you, I don't know anybody that's a, on the top of their game at any activity that doesn't spend time in preparation, which in a way is practicing for the stimulus that you're going to get from them. Your pause takes place in practice drill rehearse, and then you, you come back with the right response. So that's what practice drill and response basically means. They say something, you respond properly and end up getting an agreement. Makes perfect sense to me, for sure. And I, it's something I, I, I really wish people would spend more time on and, and less on the, the tools. I mean, they are the tools, I guess, not the LinkedIn's and social media. They play an important role, but it's, 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 it's a full contact sport, right? Well, definitely, and you really hit on an important point here, Paul. Uh, technical advancement is wonderful. There's no uh, doubt about we have to be technically sound, whatever comes up. But the challenge is with electronic transactions, people have access to information. And, and I still believe that the eyeball to eyeball, doing your best to find a way to turn a telephone call, hopefully, into not only a closed transaction or getting a prospecting uh, appointment, but also to uh, enable you to build a, re a reputation because people enjoy doing business with you. And I think all of this comes because you practice drill rehearsed, the way you come across, what you say, and that's one of the things that I, I think will never change. Uh, Tiger Woods will never stop hitting balls for hours. And that's one reason why he and Phil Mickelson and people of that caliber year after year become famous for their expertise. And we're thrilled, of course, in our country that we see a resurgence of Tiger Woods, uh, his skill level of, uh, in, include, increasing. 
Because I would say that if any one human being has ever had a tremendous positive effect on a sport, that would be Tiger on golf, uh, Wayne Gretzky on hockey, and and there's another example. Uh, Wayne Gretzky was a neighbor of mine, and of course, because of that, he belonged to the same country club, and I'd play golf with Wayne, and after getting to know him somewhat well, I said, you know, uh, Wayne, I'm proud to know you, and I love to tell my audiences uh, about you and how you became the great one as your title with number 99, and he said, Tom, the reason was I had a passion for all aspects of hockey. And that's really the first person, Paul, that really hammered the word passion to me. He said, I had a passion for practice, a passion for winning, a passion even for losing, a passion for the fact that when I skated on the ice, uh, that the other team knew that if they could stop me, they'd probably stop the team. And so he just bubbled with enthusiasm about this word passion. So I, of course, have now taught that. And I believe the people most successful in life love what they do and are passionate. It's not a job. I think it's sad that people get up every Monday morning dredging the week because they don't love what they do. That's why I try to teach people, you got to find something you love that's not work if you're going to have a happy, fulfilled life. For sure. Well, you're clearly passionate about real estate to be so successful in it, but I'm guessing it wasn't about the bricks and mortars and windows and doors of real estate. What was it that drove you? I think it was, first of all, you know, when I quit college after 90 days, um, my father was so upset with me. I came home midterm, dad came home and he says, what are you doing home? I says, dad, I made a career decision. I quit college. And my dad was a strong man, Paul. I'd never seen him really cry, but I saw tears fill his eyes. And he said, son, I'll always love you because you're my son. Even though based on your decision to quit college, I know you'll probably never amount to anything. <laughs> and, and I know in a way, that I call that my real first motivational talk because I had something to prove at that point. And Paul, as I, I, with my 5 million people who blessed me to come and pay to hear me speak, the ones that seem to come back two or three or four years later and say, hey, I'm topping my company. I'm making more than I ever dreamed. I research and talk with them. And most of them at one point in their life had either someone or something they had to prove something to that was their motivation. And of course, that's one reason why my first, first three years in real estate, I only took three days off. I took Christmas days off and that's it because I was going to prove to my father that I could become somebody or something. And of course, with no education, being young, looking young, not even having a car, trying to sell real estate on a motorcycle. I mean, I had a lot going against me. That's powerful, it really is. I know you've trained people in over 250 industries. A lot of people listening to this may have never sold in real estate. They're in software, a lot of them are inside sales. And the, the danger is always they'll go, okay, that guy is from real estate. That's not applicable to me. So I wanted to ask you, 
what was it you learned about yourself? What did you learn about sales? That having trained 250 industries, that is applicable across all industries. Well, first of all, we aren't in sales. We're really in the people business. And understanding people, their motivations, their desires, understanding how to handle different temperaments and personalities. I mean, these are the things that make you able to uh, teach any industry. And I, I, as I mentioned, or you said, there is probably not an industry from anything you can think of on telemarketing to anything you can think of out and outside sales that I have not created, written a book for, or, you know, gone and customized my training. And what I do when a company hires me, Paul, is uh, I have a staff that's been with me for over 40 years. And we have uh, people that go out to the company, spend a couple of weeks. We research exactly how their salespeople function. And when I come in and do my seminar, many of the people have said, my God, we thought you'd been working for us for five years. Well, that I think is called building a rapport with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people in great selling do. They have a relationship feeling to bring down defense barriers, to get people to relax with them. And I, I, have, I have said this a million times, and I'm not exaggerating. I really believe I have said, get people to like and trust you and want to listen to you, and you'll build a successful career, not only in sales, but in life and in business. I, I'm interested that you said you, you had that powerful motive from your father to, to kind of prove him wrong, to prove something to him. And you had a lot going against you. You're in a, you know, you were young, you didn't have a car. Apart from that, what would you say? Because nothing is perfect. You, know, you don't get to be where you are without overcoming a lot of struggles. What were the main ones that stick out in your head in those early days that you had to overcome to be successful? Well, one of the challenges, Paul, back then, the overall real estate industry was made up of middle-aged men. There were no women, hardly any women in, in real estate, believe it or not, because today women almost you know, control a residential real estate field. But back then there weren't, and there were never teenagers. And so when I drove into a real estate office on my motorcycle, not having a car, not having any dress clothes, and the managers of many offices said, you're too young and you don't have what's necessary. Well, finally one man, thank God, he said, you know what, I like your attitude, young man, and if you can make a living on a motorcycle without any clothes for a dress suit and what have you, you know, I'm going to give you a chance. Well, I went to the office meeting at 8 on Monday morning, and I sheepishly drove my motorcycle to the back of the office, parked it. I snuck in the back door, standing there as the manager had 12 salespeople in front of him, and he stopped the meeting. He said, all you guys and gals, look at the back of the room. This is our newest sales associate. His name is Tom Hopkins. He's not even, he's just turned 19, I understand. And he's here. You heard him drive up on a motorcycle. And you can see he's wearing a shirt and a tie, but he has no suits. And if this kid can make a living, I expect all of you to get rich. And that's kind of how he introduced me to the first office I started with. 
And so from that point on, as you then, because you're, you're, you, you now have something else to prove as well. So you have all of these guys looking at you. Sure. What were the personal hurdles you had to overcome in terms of your own head trash, for example, starting out? Well, you know, people walk in the office and if I was up to answer the phone or to, to meet them, they, of course, would look at me and I had many times they'd say, yeah, we're here to look at some homes. Is your father here? And, and of course, I'd laugh and say, yeah, I know I'm, I'm young, but I'm excited and I haven't got any bad habits, so I'll do a good job. But I'm Tom Hopkins and I look forward to working with you. And I'd take them back to my desk, establish rapport, ask a lot of questions. And of course, I, I, I knew after, I would say I didn't do well for the first three to four months. I, I just was, had too much against me. And then all of a sudden, I went to a, a three-day seminar, spent the last $150 I had in the bank, and I went to see the, a man, his name was Jay Douglas Edwards. Doesn't mean a lot to people today because it was, you know, 40 some years ago. But Mr. Edwards was the father of American selling. That was his actual title. And I went to him for three days, sat there, took copious notes, stayed up all night studying. We had a competition. I had to learn all these closing techniques and questions and all the art form of selling. And I left that three day and all of a sudden it was like a switch turned on. Not only did I start knowing what to say and do, but I realized that real estate for me then was a niche. And I hope anyone listening is gonna find a business, a vocation or career that for them is kind of a niche. Uh, and I call a niche is you're, you're making a living doing something you love to do. And you found your niche. Uh, I mean, I will guarantee you, you show me anyone who's accomplished at what they do, and, and they really will brag about the fact they love and have a passion for what they do, which is a back to building the enthusiasm for what you do. So does that mean then, though, that people are, I don't know if the right word is limited, but you clearly had that niche was, was, was real estate. You love that game. Would you have been equally successful in other fields of selling? You know, I think I would only because, again, we don't sell. We're in the people business. And if you can really understand and relate to people, um, I had my last two to three years, 95, I think the percentage was 95% of every sale I made, either on the phone to get an appointment or in person to do a real estate transaction, was referred to me by other people I made happy. And I don't think that would ever be the case. Um, in today's, my, my world of seminars, almost every seminar I go to, uh, someone will come up and say, Tom, 25 years ago, I was brand new in sales. I came to the seminar 25 years ago. I took your training. I listened to your CD back then. There were tapes, but listened to your tapes. I read your books. And uh, this is... Uh, these 80, you know, 80 people are in my company and we're one of the top companies in the financial services field in this whole state. Well, see, to me, that's the payment to a teacher is when people take what you teach, apply it, increase their effectiveness, their skill level, make more money, have a better, happier life. I mean, that's, that's what I live for, to get the reports back from people 
that uh, our material, our techniques, skills, whatever you want to call them, have been life-changing for people. It's so true. It sounds to me like real estate wasn't your passion. It was helping people was your passion. Oh, definitely. I have always loved people. Uh, you know, I've had a little saying I've taught for years, love people and use money, never use people and love money. The money will come to you based on the service, the help, the sincerity, the empathy that you truly have for your fellow human beings and wanting them to do better by owning your product or service. I love that. Love people, use money, not use people, love money. Powerful. Exactly. I love it. I love it. So that's a nice segue then because that's, that, you, you did that for eight years in real estate. Then you moved into the training business, which is, I guess, a pure, another people business. And that's where your passion for helping people. What was that like, those early days of training? Was it sales training or was it more technical training you started out with? No, it was very scary. Um, I had this one year where everything came together, Paul. I, I, everything came perfectly together. And on November 15th, at the end of the year, my manager calls me in and he says, Tom, do you realize what you're doing? And of course, I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, well, yeah, I'm listing and selling homes. He says, no, we've done some figuring and you are averaging one home sale a day for a year so far to November 15th. And if you keep this up and you can close uh, enough home sales to do average one a day, then you'll do something that's never been done. And of course, the owner of the company, when I did it, he was very much into organized real estate, the National Association of Realtors. Well, he sent out this big uh, article on Tom Hopkins. You know, I was just a kid, 20, I think it was 24 years of age. And, you know, he sold 365 homes, averaging one a day, never been done. And all of a sudden, I got a call and they asked me to speak at the National Convention in Los Angeles. And I was scared to death. And of course, when you're a new speaker, Paul, you only usually get 100 people of the convention in a little room and you do a breakout session. And I wasn't supposed to speak till one o'clock. But, you know, the, the convention kicked off at eight in the morning and I thought, what the heck? I was up. So I put my suit and tie on and went down, stood there in the wings, uh, watching and waiting for the convention to start. And suddenly the president of the association comes over and the man speaking uh, was a man named Thomas Peters. And he had written a book back in the 50s and 60s called The Peters Principle. And because of this best-selling book, he was a featured kickoff speaker for 5,500 people. Well, I'm standing there, and suddenly the president comes over and says, Tom, the featured speaker, uh, Thomas Peters, is caught in L.A. traffic. we got to start. Can you go on? Wow. And I said, you bet I can. And I, he says, you can only speak till he shows up. I had no idea what I was going to say. But I walked out in front of 5,500 people. And of course, this, the it, uh, president said, by the way, while we're waiting for our featured speaker to show up, we have a young man that's done something that's never been done in real estate. He, uh, he's 24 years of age and he's sold 365 homes last year, averaging one home a day, which has never been done. And there was a gasp in the room 
and everybody, boy, they hung on every word. And I only spoke 12 minutes because uh, Peter showed up. And of course, I gave him 12 minutes of the best stuff I could come up with. And I got a huge standing ovation, which of course, when you're 24 and really never spoken, this was pretty exciting. And came back to my office in Simi Valley and my phone started ringing off the hook. And the realtors from all over the country in that room that day started calling me and said, come speak. We heard 12 minutes, but we want to hear the whole story and what you've done for to help people. And so that's kind of how my speaking career took off. And I did that for almost three years. And suddenly I said, time to not only write my first book, but time to totally give up real estate and do nothing but creates seminar material to teach others how to do a better job in this wonderful field of uh, selling. That's an incredible example of opportunity meeting preparation, which some people call luck, which is, <laughs> it, it, it was fortuitous that that happened. The guy was late stuck in traffic. Uh, that said, you were, you were ready because of your success and you were ready because you were prepared for that conversation in the side room, but now you have this audience. And you know, and Paul, one thing I want to say is you're hitting it right on the nail because uh, I really believe that if you have the right attitude and you really are, are living the, the life you should, doors open for you. Uh, that was a door that changed my life that opened. Uh, the man that I talked about earlier, Jay Douglas Edwards, who changed my life at his three-day seminar, I knew he lived in Arizona, but I had no idea where. And I sent him a postcard when I said, I'm leaving California to move to Arizona to open up a training company. And I moved into a home. And all of a sudden that afternoon, uh, I was in the garage helping the movers put furniture in the house. And all of a sudden I heard this voice, is Tom Hopkins here? And I turned around and there in my garage was Jay Douglas Edwards, the man that changed my life uh, at his three-day seminar. And I said, Mr. Edwards, I've been listening to your records. Back then, we only had records. I have learned every one of your scripts and closes. And I said, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I got your card that you were moving here. And I thought I ought to welcome my new next door neighbor to the area. Wow. So here out of 4 million people in Arizona, I buy a home with no knowledge where he lived next door to him. And... Because I'd become the top real estate agent in California, he'd been coming to the company I worked for. And he knew me as far as my success. And, and it was there again, the door opened where he said to me, I want to get to help you teach. And he was probably the most famous speaker back then. And he took me under his wing and I would sit at his feet and he would teach me the art of speaking, the art of creating a presentation, the art of handling objections, the art of controlling an audience. And there, fortuitous, uh, it was one of those doors that opened. And most of my life has been that way. And I thank God for that, because without those doors opening, I don't think you fulfill your potential. That's a powerful story. I love it. And it prompts a question, listening to you. Excuse me. I'm hearing, okay, I'm hearing hard work. I'm hearing 
You're there 364 days a year, year after year, working really hard. I'm hearing you're working on technique and you spend, you spoke a moment ago about attitude. Of those three, in terms of what makes people successfully, is one more important than the other? Gosh, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, you know, you could have a high skill level and a bad attitude and you won't fulfill your potential. You can have a great attitude, but not know what the heck you're doing, and you'll be an enthusiastic, excited loser. So, I mean, I really believe it's a, it's a combination of things, Paul, where, you know, I have a little saying, work harder on yourself than you do on your job to become a person that relates to more people. And if you do that, you'll, you'll get along with people better. I mean, I, I just love people. I always have. And I know when I was in real estate, most of the folks I found homes for became friends. And that was a challenge because they all wanted to have dinner with me and my wife. And I was so dang busy. I'd have to say, kids, I'd love to, but I got an appointment, a listing appointment this evening and, and I just can't. So you've got to have business detachment if you're really good to, and relate to people because you've got to invest your time. And, and that's something that I, I really want to bring home. Uh, there, we all have 86,400 seconds in a day. No one has any more. No one has any less. But people at the end of their life that seem to have the greatest achievements they really know how to invest those 86,400 seconds properly. And they're great time planners and organizers. And at the end of our talk, I'm going to give uh, 12 words that I would love them to put on their wall, in their home, in their office. And if they'll live by these 12 words and commit to them, they're going to have the best sales year they've ever had, both inside or outside sales. You said, and, and this is where we need to fi finish up, Tom, is you had 12 words that would make that people wrote on their wall that would guarantee success. Okay. Now, I, I preface this by saying, again, we have 86,400 seconds in a day. If you live by these 12 words, I must do the most productive thing possible at every given moment. And if you'll analyze those 12 words, it's not maybe I will today because I feel excited or I'm gonna do something good today. Uh, I must do the most productive thing possible at every given moment. Now put those 12 words in your house, on your desk, at your office, and every time you see yourself procrastinating, you're putting off doing what you should do, just look at those words and say, if I live by this every day, invest my time properly, do the right thing, I'll end up at the end of my life very successful and have served many, many people as we help them on their journey towards happiness and success. Because that makes people choose, make decisions. And we are a product of our decisions, right? On a moment-to-moment -moment basis, show me the decisions you're making and I'll show you the actions that will take place in your life in the future. I love it. That, unfortunately, that we need to leave it there. It has been a real pleasure and a life goal of mine. So thank you very much for your time today. It's been fantastic for sharing your insights, your experience, your knowledge. And for people listening, go to tomhopkins.com. Click on the free resources. 
uh, start the journey there. Paul, thank you so much. I loved it as well. My pleasure, Tom.